Have you ever seen a cornerstone? I mean a big cornerstone. Cornerstones have been around for thousands of years. And historically, the cornerstone was the first stone set during the building process. And very careful measurements were taken to ensure that the cornerstone was square and to ensure the proper alignment of the remainder of the building. Because you had to get the cornerstone correct. Because if the cornerstone was wrong, there was no way the rest of the building could be right. Make sense? Because everything would be off. And while in architecture there's only one cornerstone, most buildings have four corners. And all of them have to be solid and trustworthy and dependable. And for thousands of years, you can see this photo that I took at the Acropolis in Athens, thousands of years, stones were the primary material used in constructing large buildings, including temples and cathedrals and churches. And it was amazing to walk around the Acropolis and to see these structures that have survived thousands of years and earthquakes and wars because they have been built solidly on a good foundation. We also visited the city of Thessaloniki, which is the second most important city in Greece, home to about a million inhabitants. And these are photos of the Greek Agora, or the Roman Forum there, that is preserved in the center of the city. In the first century, Thessaloniki was the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia. And it was very important because of its location on the sea. It's a port city, uh, very important for both travel and trade, both by sea and by land. And if the New Testament in your Bible was arranged in the order in which the books were written, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians would probably be the first book that appears in the New Testament. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes about four cornerstones, if you will, to build your life on, both as an individual and for us as a congregation. And they are faith, love, hope, and the message of the gospel or the word of God. And Paul says all of these are gifts that come to us from God. God calls us to faith. God enables human love. And God gives us hope in the Lord. So 1 Thessalonians has something to say to you today if you are struggling with your faith, if you are striving to love others even when it's not easy, or if your hope in God or in life is wavering. These three cornerstones come to us through the fourth, which is the word of God. So listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know 
what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak of it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is our scripture for today. In this, the earliest of Paul's letters, Paul introduces in the very first verses three of the cornerstones of the Christian faith to which he will return repeatedly in his letters. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. If you want to build your life right and true and well, Paul says, build on these and everything else will come out stronger and better and well. Paul was creating, right in the beginning of this letter, he was creating engagement and connection with the church around a clear, simple set of priorities. Faith, love, hope, and the message of the gospel. And Paul is writing to a community that is facing social pressure and at times even persecution to turn away from their new faith and to return to the life from which they've come. And in referring to their work of faith, Paul is saying that while faith is a gift, it's a result of grace, you also have to work at it. Faith doesn't grow stronger without your active participation. I'm going to say that again, just because it's not easy. Faith doesn't grow stronger without your active participation. And if you want your faith to get stronger, if you want to build it up, you need to be working at it. It's just like a muscle. Faith gets stronger by being exercised, and faith often gets exercised and stronger when it's tested even when it's pushed to the limits of what you think you can endure. In Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13, Paul tells the whole church to work out your salvation, and the your there is plural, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to work out what God has worked in us. How do you do this? Well, two of the main ways we see in the Bible are reading God's Word and praying. And that's part of why we provide a daily Bible reading guide in the bulletin for you every week. It's why we have a daily verse of the day with a brief video reflection. Because reading or listening to God's Word every day, every day. And remember, God's Word is the fourth cornerstone here. It helps you build and strengthen your faith. Tough times reveal if you're putting your faith and trust in God or not. But faith is kind of like patience, you know. No one wants to actually go through situations in which you develop patience. We would just want God to magically give it to us. 
And the same thing is often true of faith. We just want God to give it to us. We don't want to go through the tough times in which faith is developed. For example, in Mark chapter 4 and verses 35 to 41, when Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up very quickly and the disciples are scared. They think they're going to die. And so they wake Jesus up from his nap and say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus calms the wind and he calms the waves and then he looks at them and says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Part of the work that belongs to faith is being able to open our heart and spirit and trust God even when life is difficult and painful and scary. And that's why prayer is such an important component and crucial to strengthening your faith because as you learn from God's word and as you seek to apply it in your daily living and as you then share with God in prayer your fears, your hopes, your needs, your dreams for yourself and for other people you care about, then your connection with God becomes more real. And regularly worshiping God as you are right now is another way you build your faith. And your work of faith may not change your outward circumstances, but it can equip you to face it with greater resilience and with greater determination and perseverance. So the first cornerstone is your work of faith. The second Paul mentions is their labor of love, your labor of love. And the Greek here implies toil or a troublesome labor, labor which you're motivated by love to bear. And the phrase implies that some aspects, this may come as a shock to some of you, but some aspects of loving other people aren't easy. And remember, these words are written to a church. They're written to a whole church. They aren't written to a, a couple in, ro you know, in a romantic relationship, although there are labors of love involved in those relationships also, of course. But a labor of love may be something you do out of a desire to help someone else or to serve somebody else. We do it off sometimes out of a, a, a sense of affection for someone or because it even gives us joy to help someone else. It's a labor of love. And Paul writes about love repeatedly in 1 Thessalonians. Now, some of us live with other people. Some people live alone. For those of us who are living with other people, I know our labor of love may take the form of making meals, doing laundry, taking care of the yard, going to the recycling center, taking the compost out, walking the dog, doing the dishes. The list goes on and on. And just as Paul referred to the work of faith, he doesn't write the bliss of love, right? He doesn't speak of the rapture of love. He says your labor of love. Because sometimes love is a labor. You just got to be honest about that. And love, especially agape Christian love that seeks the good of others and to serve others, is often challenging. Love is time-consuming. It takes time to get together with people in person and to have an in-depth conversation. It takes time to listen to someone, to make phone calls, and to connect with people and to see how they're doing. It even takes time to text and to email and to connect via social media. Love takes time 
time. Yours and mine. There's no getting around that. And in 1 Corinthians 13, in Paul's most famous words about love, he gives some examples of what a labor of love is. It's being patient when we're tempted to lose our cool. It's being kind rather than being indifferent or mean. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures, endures all things. Clearly, we wouldn't need to be patient and kind and all the rest of what Paul says if love wasn't a labor. As my mother used to say, love isn't all moonlight and roses. True love involves sacrifice, commitment to resolve conflict peacefully, acceptance, negotiation, speaking the truth in love, forgiveness, and so much more. All of these are needed in relationships within a church, Paul is saying as well as in our familial relationships. How are you doing when it comes to your labor of love? The final part of Paul's prayer in thanks for the Thessalonians is for their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the opposite of steadfast is unsteady or wavering, unreliable, weak, untrustworthy. Having steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ makes a significant difference in our lives. Having hope that is unwavering, that's dependable, that's strong and firm and resolute is especially important when life is difficult. And we can have steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is dependable and strong and trustworthy. Hope is so intertwined with the message of the gospel, which is the fourth cornerstone. And that message is the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and faith in him can change your life forever and give you everlasting and undying hope. It's really hard to separate these two things. And Lord means that Jesus is your leader and not the Roman emperor as Paul would have been telling the Thessalonians. And for us, it means no politician today. Our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Jesus means, as Joseph is told in Matthew chapter 1, that he will save his people from their sins. And Christ means anointed or chosen one. So Paul is affirming how Jesus is all of these things. Lord, the one who saves us from sin, God's anointed or chosen one. And Paul is writing about the very particular hope of Jesus' return. And how do we conduct ourselves? How do we live our lives while we wait for Jesus to return? And Paul felt the return of Christ was imminent. That didn't happen. There are people today who feel the return of Christ is imminent. And the most important thing you can do is build your life on faith, love, and hope 
and the message of the gospel. So you're prepared, whether Christ comes tomorrow or you go to see him when the time comes. There is no doubt we are living in serious times. Times that will have a tremendous impact on the future and for many of us for the rest of our lives. And this is causing tremendous mental, emotional, physical, and relational stress. That's making it very difficult for many people to feel hopeful about the future. I was listening to a podcast this week with Carrie Newoff and Andy Crouch, and they were discussing the epic toll economically, educationally, and institutionally that have been caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, political, racial, and social division driven by social media, Russia's war against Ukraine, climate issues, mass shootings, all of these issues are leading to epidemic levels of anxiety, loneliness, and depression. And as I listened, I thought, first of all, well, there are valid reasons to be anxious. There are valid reasons to be depressed. Change is needed in a whole host of areas in our world. And yet I also thought as I listened that the anxiety and loneliness and depression that so many people are feeling and experiencing, they're actually countered by faith, love, and hope. Because the antidote to anxiety is faith. The antidote to loneliness is love. And the antidote for depression is hope. The hope we have in Christ. So I want to encourage you to think about at least one thing you can work at this week, this very week. What's one thing you can work at to strengthen or to share your faith? For one person, it might mean, you know what, I've never read the Bible. I'm going to read these passages in 1 Thessalonians this week that we've got laid out for you. For someone else, it might be, you know, I really need to grow in prayer. I'm going to go to the Wednesday morning 8 a.m. prayer group here at church before I head to the beach or before I go to work. For someone else, it could be something different. Uh, for another person, it might think about what labor of love can you do to make someone else's life a little easier, a little less stressful this coming week? You know, someone who you either live with, work with, or interact with during the week. What could you do for them? For someone else, it might be, you know, I'm going to share with a family member or a friend a sermon, a worship service, a devotion that share something that's touched you, has been helpful to you that you could share and say, hey, this was helpful to me. I want to share it because I hope it might be helpful for you. Some of you, please forgive me for saying this, but Paul writes about it and says it to this church, so I'm saying it to us. Some of you may be worshiping or serving idols and don't even realize it. Just like a fish living in a polluted pond has no idea that all that pollution is getting into it and poisoning it. Some of you may need to reorient your life in terms of what you read or watch or listen to or where you're giving your ultimate trust. Some of you, just like with the Thessalonians, may need to turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they're part of a team, and they don't face the challenges of their time alone. 
and neither should you. Neither should we. We need people in our lives. And we also need to be a source of support and encouragement for other people. Paul and his team also pray faithfully for the church. And we need to pray for our church. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our country and for the world. And Paul remembers the Thessalonian church for the wonderful example they set for believers and non-believers alike in their region and beyond. And how great it must be for their church to be remembered as they are remembered. And that's something for us as well. How would you like to be remembered individually? How would you like our church to be known collectively? How about for your work of faith, your labor of love, for the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ? Build your life on these and the message of the gospel, and your life will be built on a solid and unshakable foundation, no matter what you face. Please pray with me. Gracious God, by the power of your spirit, inspire us to diligence in our work of faith, selflessness and humility in our labor of love, and grant us a sense of unwavering hope in our Lord Jesus Christ that sustains us in all the trials and the triumphs of life. We ask this until your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.